Welcome to Story Tadpole. This is the podcast where I can share my stories. This story is called Little Wing Takes the Cake. This is part two. If you've not yet heard part one, go back and find it. I recorded it last week. Now please, sit back, relax, and enjoy the story. When I awoke, there was a ringing in my ear, and my head hurt. Because I was five and did not yet know how to express myself, I ran to my father and cried into his belly. What happened, he said. I think I spoke the words, my head hurts, but I can't be certain because the ringing in my left ear was so loud. He removed a band-aid from the cupboard, parted my hair, and stuck it to my scalp. All better, he said. This made me cry harder. I began to shake my head vigorously. I could tell there was something in it that wasn't supposed to be there. But I didn't want to tell my father the truth, because the only thing he knew how to do was apply a band-aid. My father was a good man, though, so when he realized this might be more serious than he'd originally thought, he took me to the doctor. The doctor took one look in my ear and said, It's inflamed, all right. Your son has a pretty nasty ear infection. Over the next two weeks, I took a full course of antibiotics, and the pain began to subside, which was enough to convince my father I was cured. The ringing in my left ear also slowly subsided, but it had been replaced by something else. I began to hear little clicking noises, which were accompanied by intense urges. I'd be cleaning my room, and suddenly I'd be ferociously hungry for a specific food. Most of the time it was something sweet like honey, but occasionally it was something that I knew humans were not supposed to eat. I woke up one morning, walked straight to the garage, opened a bottle of engine oil, and started chugging. I was still partially dazed from sleeping, so I didn't realize what I was doing until half the bottle was gone. My father followed me into the garage, and when he saw me drinking the oil, he smacked it out of my hands and drove me to the emergency room. A look of dread was on his face. What's the big deal, I said. I feel f- My thought was interrupted with a stream of oily vomit, which continued to leak from my lips until my stomach was pumped. I almost died. When my father asked me why I drank the engine oil, I didn't know what to say. I said I wanted to rest and walked up to my room. Suddenly the ringing returned, sharper than before. Pain shot through my skull and down along the curve of my neck. It felt like a needle was stitching spirals around my nerves, pulling them tight all at once, the fibers bulging between each thread. I clutched my ear and screamed. Just then I knew. I don't know how. But I knew. It was like I'd been reading the same sentence over and over, my eyes glossing the words without catching their meaning, and without warning, in an instant, all the meanings of all the words, and all the histories of each word, and finally all the possible interpretations of the sentence were rammed into my brain at the same time. It was obvious. 
An ant named Little Wing had crawled through my ear canal, chewed through its wall, destroyed my cochlea, and crawled into my temporal lobe in order to escape the other worker ants who were trying to kill it for eating the frosting on my birthday cake without first allowing the higher caste ants to dine. Little Wing, I knew, had died upon reaching the temporal lobe and dissolved into the tissue, permanently fusing its consciousness to my brain. In her withered wing she held all the hate, all the thoughts of her wrecked destiny, all those imagined futures where she was her colony's queen. It was the final part of her to dissolve, and so those thoughts were concentrated and magnified as her consciousness took up root inside me. She would have wanted revenge, but there was no her anymore, just as there was no I anymore. We wanted revenge. The formation of a plan began with the musts. The queen must be assassinated. The colony must pay. But as each part of the plan fell into place, we noticed there was something wrong. Yes, we craved the death of the queen. We wanted her to pay. But we didn't know why we wanted her to pay. Wasn't she just another cog in the machine? It was true that she was given large, unfair quantities of food and that she had the power to kill the treasonous with her box of deadly parasites, but she was just as much a slave as the rest of the colony. If she didn't produce thousands of eggs a day, if she took even one day off, she would be deemed unfit and would suffer perhaps the worst possible fate any ant could suffer. When a queen's egg count begins to drop, the royal council declares that she be fed more and more until she regains an acceptable level of fertility. The eating is not optional. Every meal she has is watched closely by her royal guard, each morsel accounted for, measured and tagged, with an edible drop of pheromone. If her rate of feeding begins to slow, the senior member of her royal guard is required to rub her belly and coax the uneaten food into her mouth. Once the meal is finished, the royal guards rock the queen's body to and fro without sympathy, her swollen belly contracting rapidly to keep food from traveling back up her esophagus to make sure she isn't hiding anything. The amount of food she must eat only stops increasing when her daily egg count reaches the level it once was, or when her abdomen bursts from overconsumption. The latter causes a slow and painful death. In short, she is tortured. The plan changed then. We would not seek vengeance. The colony was in need of reform, not mass genocide. After school, we set phase one in motion. Using Little Wing's pheromonic receptors, we pinpointed the colony's current food transport route. My father had left last night's potato skins on the counter beside a cutting board full of Asiago breadcrumbs. It was easy to find. The ants were moving in an efficient arc, allowing them to spear breadcrumbs with their legs while they were already carrying a bit of congealed cheese from the top of the potato skins. When we smelled the potato skins, we wanted to do the same. For a split second, we wanted, 
more than anything else to be on the trail right behind a fellow worker, blindly following the chemical arc that told each ant exactly where her next step should be. The ant eye is far weaker than the human eye. Little Wing was not used to seeing sustenance with such definition. We began to salivate at the sight of those thick orange globs of cheese resting heavy, like bricks of golden yolk atop a starchy canvas. Its beauty was almost our downfall, but soon we forced ourselves to refocus. We knelt, fingers moving ever so carefully. We gently set our pinky in the ant's path. Without hesitation, they began to crawl over the finger, sensing that the path continued on the other side. We quickly removed our finger, bringing two ants away from the harvest. As predicted, they panicked and began crawling toward our wrist, frantically looking for the scent of their lost trail. One ant we returned to the cutting board, but we put the other in a glass jar and carried it far from the scene. We covered the top of the jar with plastic wrap and poked holes in it so the ant had ample oxygen. We went to our room, locked the door, and put on an Albert Einstein wig from last year's Halloween party. Little Wing thought the wig was dumb, but I insisted that we needed it if we were going to be mad scientists. We had already collected all the necessary ingredients to create the desired pheromone. Now we just had to mix them. The process took many hours. If we messed up the tonic, the results would be disastrous. Too much grape skin, and we would permanently ruin her spatial awareness, causing her to walk in a circle until she starved. Too much barley juice, and the target would simply explode. Finally, it was done. Our potion was beautiful. The turquoise liquid simmered gently in a thin glass test tube. Tiny bubbles popped as they reached the surface, releasing a smoky gas that danced up the sides of the tube before losing momentum and falling back atop the surface of the liquid, where it rested, slowly swirling this way and that. HK752 had recently come to understand the futility of attempting to climb the sides of the glass jar and was now simply resting in the center, awaiting whatever fate her captor had planned for her. She was starved for stimulation. She needed something to do. Her mental state was slowly deteriorating. During the first hour of her captivity, she was completely absorbed in the task of escaping. She had checked and rechecked every nanometer of the glass jar, looking desperately for a hint of weakness or for an outward jutting imperfection she could use to begin her ascent toward the plastic wrap above. However, upon realizing that there was no such imperfection, she had taken up drooling in hopes of eventually drowning in her own saliva. It was a sad sight to behold. But on the bright side, each drop of saliva made an oddly satisfying plop as it hit the puddle forming beneath her mandibles. It had a hypnotic rhythm that felt nostalgic. She counted each drop, the numbers lackadaisically narrated inside her head by a deep, soothing voice. 
It reminded her of the good old days when she would combat the monotony of the harvest by counting the number of steps she took traveling back and forth between food source and colony. The more she salivated and the more she counted, the more she began to enjoy her current state of being. Four hundred and fifty-eight. Four hundred and fifty-nine. She counted on, each number narrated more slowly than the last, her pasted Xanax smile staying firmly in place. Four hundred and sixty. That is when it fell from the sky. It hung there for a second like a miniature Neptune, serene and smooth and blue, before falling toward the bottom of the jar, its surface subtly jiggling as it reformed into a sphere upon detaching itself from the monstrous glass dropper from whence it came. HK-752 stood there, drooling and unaware, as the gigantic blue drop of liquid fell toward her. HK-752 was overcome with unexpected but intense pleasure as the cool liquid swallowed her body. Her first thought was that she had unconsciously withheld the last 50 or so drops of saliva and they had formed a mega drop in her mouth that continued to grow until her head was suddenly trapped inside of it. But that wouldn't explain the feeling of euphoria that took her. No, this was something else, something new, that had just been added from outside the jar. She rolled and flipped inside the blue substance, letting momentum dictate her direction as tiny air bubbles tickled her body. Yes, her counting was interrupted and that was unfortunate, but oh my god, this new sensation was wonderful. She opened her mouth and let the liquid rush in. Impossibly, it tasted like frosting. This, she decided, while still spinning within the liquid, was the defining moment of her life. Nothing would be the same. How could it be after bathing in liquid frosting? Orgasm was on the horizon, but then, without warning, everything dimmed. All feeling, all physical sensation, all thought, grew dark at their edges, and then began to funnel inward toward a quickly diminishing bulb of light that was her awareness. Then as the last trickle of consciousness fell into the bulb, which was now but a pinprick, HK-752 knew nothing but blackness. All was still for a moment, but then she felt something tug lightly at her consciousness, and then harder until it was pulling her psyche without abandon, forcing it through an impossibly narrow tube and then yanking it out the other side where it erupted with incredible force before being bottled back into the tube and yanked back out the side from where it came. It was as if her mind was being excruciatingly flossed between the same two teeth, back and forth and back again. Her psyche was being scraped clean, Bits of it collected at the edges of the tube each time it was forced through until there was nothing but a thin streak of bleach-white ego. HK-752 had been primed. She was now a baby, a blank slate, an antenna waiting to receive information, wanting naught but instruction. This was the purpose of our potion. It worked like a computer virus, first erasing memory and consciousness 
and then melting the mind into a hot mess of putty that could be easily manipulated. However, in order to mold HK752's mind to our liking, we needed a link, a way to access the thoughts we were going to create. The key ingredient in our potion was our blood. When our old body, which was the carcass that was once known as Little Wing, dissolved inside our brain, the Dufour's gland, the organ responsible for producing many of the pheromones ants used to communicate, released its essential proteins into our temporal lobe. We discovered that we could milk this dissolved gland by carefully pulling our earlobe down and to the left with gentle but consistent force. The gland would then impregnate our bloodstream with the desired pheromones. When combined with the other ingredients in the potion, our pheromone-rich blood hacked HK752's own Dufour's gland, forcing it to produce a pheromone it had never been able to before, a link between her body and the blood-bearer's mind, between her and us. We closed our eyes and searched for the chemical HK752's hacked Dufour's gland was producing, and there it was, rising in an invisible cloud above the glass jar. We inhaled deeply. We opened our eyes and saw that we were inside of the jar. We flicked the leftover potion from our legs, which were HK752's legs, and stretched our thorax, which was HK752's thorax. We were now completely in control of our Trojan horse, our hacked ant. We marched in circles around the glass jar, smiling at the familiar feeling of six legs. That is the end of part two of Little Wing Takes the Cake. I hope you enjoyed it. Next week, I will put out part three. Until then, my fellow listeners, be well. Do things that make you happy. And if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, you can do that on your favorite podcasting app. Also, if you liked today's episode, it would really help out the podcast if you left a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. But you don't have to. No pressure. Anyway, I'll see you next week with part three of Little Wing Takes the Cake.